If you would, please turn your Bibles with me to Ruth chapter 2, and let me ask you to stand again. And uh, this time, uh, what I'm going to do is, so that you can enjoy the story maybe a little bit better, I'm going to read it out loud to you this morning as you listen. So would you still stand with me and reverence for the Word of God, and I will read to us this morning, Ruth chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? But Boaz said to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you with for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoke kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here, and eat some bread, and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also, pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw that she, what she had gleaned, and also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? 
Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. You may be seated. I want to ask you this morning, as we have come two sermons and now the third part in our series here, we've entitled this series in Ruth, Behold the Steadfast Love and Faithfulness of Yahweh. I am wondering if the account of Ruth is beginning to become a pair of glasses on your eyes through which you are viewing your own life. I think that's one of the intents of this story given to us, to look through this lens to see God in His loving kindness and faithfulness at work in our lives. We have learned together so far that Yahweh, our God, with great steadfast love, does all that is needed in the lives of His chosen covenant people to bring them from fall to glory. Remember we've talked about that? And He faithfully fulfills all of His promises to them for His eternal glory. We've also learned that He accomplishes all those needful things in our lives through sovereign and providential working. That's what we see unfolding in this story. The hidden hand of God behind all of the events of the life of Naomi and Ruth working lovingly, faithfully, bringing them along in their lives with Him. The faithful hand of God moving mysteriously, sometimes painfully, right? But always wisely and powerfully, lovingly in the circumstances of His chosen covenant people. And if you consider again with me chapter 1, where is the first place that God lovingly and faithfully through providence designs to bring His chosen people. He wants to bring them first to the place of humble repentance, doesn't He? And those whom He has chosen, like Ruth, to the place of conversion. Salvation. We've learned that. That God, in making His people fruitful and useful to His eternal redemptive plans, must first bring them to conversion, repentance, humility. To bring them to Himself. To work in their hearts a faithful dependence upon His covenant promises. That's the first necessary work that God must do in each one of His chosen covenant people. In the first scenes of Ruth, we saw God work providentially and painfully even in the lives of both Naomi and Ruth to bring them to that place. That was made very clear for us by the author through that dialogue in the middle of chapter 1. That dialogue between 
somewhere between Moab and Bethlehem that, that happened between Naomi and her daughters-in-law. Verses 6-18 through 18 in chapter 1. We see God humbling Naomi and bringing Ruth to conversion. And we see that the result of that, even by the words of Naomi upon her return to Bethlehem, I went away full and now I am come back empty. She's ready to be filled by the grace of God. God has so worked in her life. And so because God loves His chosen people with an enduring love and an unwavering faithfulness, He will not allow them to remain in their sinful, unfaithful, disobedient, worldly, proud, self-centered, destructive living. He loves them far too much to leave them there. And so He works in their lives. He will draw them to repentance, to Himself. And He does so, as we have seen in chapter 1, both by providential chastening, we may call it, painful losses, but also by His providential kindness, gracious provisions. We saw that at the end of chapter 1 where God had visited His people and brought a a food (laughs) abundance back to Israel and the in the city of Bethlehem, the house of bread. And so there is a theme in this narrative that underscores what God is doing. Chapter 1 opens with what catastrophe? A famine, right? There's a famine in the land. And Naomi says upon her return, I went away full, but I came back empty. Additionally, the narrator of Ruth tells us in Ruth 1 that they returned during the time of barley harvest when God was visiting His people and meeting their needs according to His Great kindness to fulfill His promises to them. He gave both of those promises in Deuteronomy chapter 28. He said, if you turn from me in unfaithfulness, the heavens will be brass, the earth will be stone. But if you repent and turn back to me, I will open the heavens to you and cause your produce to abound. And so here's a theme that we need to recognize. There's a human fullness that begins this story a fullness of pride and worldliness and sin and unbelief and unfaithfulness. And then there's a God-wrought emptiness. God lovingly strips us of those things that we love and trust and cling to more than Him in order to humble us and bring us to repentance. And then there's a God-wrought fullness. God graciously and mercifully and kindly restores us to Himself and causes us to trust Him and take refuge in Him so that He may then pour out the riches of His grace upon us in Christ. Fullness, emptiness, fullness. I wonder, have you experienced that in your life? Pay attention to God's providential hand of training, and you'll see it. If you open your heart to His Word and His shepherding, in all of those details of your life, you will see it. You'll experience it. You'll be blessed by it. And so that's where chapter 2 begins with this God-wrought fullness. God so graciously is bringing blessing and fullness into the lives of Ruth and Naomi and even Boaz. You see, He has begun graciously to shape their character. By His steadfast love. That is an important theme in this chapter. You will see God graciously shaping the character of these people who have come out of even seasons of great pain. He has begun to bring them together. 
to meet one another's needs. You'll see God providentially bringing people together. And He has begun to bring them together to serve one another as they reflect His steadfast love to one another. The kind of loving work that you see God doing in each one of the lives of these these key characters in this story, they begin to reflect that to one another. They become godly. They become like God. You see God reflected in them. And God has begun to work in their lives to make them useful and fruitful, enabling them to have even, they don't even see it now, but enabling them to have eternal impact in His redemptive plan for His glory. God has prepared good works for them to walk in. And He's shaped their character to receive those and to walk in them. You see the flow of the story happening? Naomi's prayer for her daughters-in-law is being answered graciously for Ruth by our faithful God. Ruth chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 is that prayer. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house, and may the Lord deal kindly with you. What is Naomi asking? May the Lord deal with you in steadfast love. That love that would take unworthy sinners like us and bind us to God so that He would fulfill all of His saving work in us, even at great cost to Himself. May the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Ruth had that blessing prayed for her by Naomi. And Ruth then believed that it was better to suffer reproach with the people of Yahweh and trust in the promises of Yahweh than to enjoy the pleasures of Moab for a very, very short season. This is all a work of God's grace in in Ruth's heart. And and God is beginning to answer the prayer of Naomi for her. And as a result of God's gracious working in, in Ruth's heart, God began to pour out upon her life the riches of His grace and kindness toward her in part through Boaz, and even then through Ruth to Naomi. There's a central verse and a central theme that you must see as we come to chapter 2 in the story, the narrative, the scene of chapter 2. Guess where it is in the chapter? Were you listening last week? Where is it? It's in the center. Alright, look at verse 12. It comes in this dialogue between Boaz and Ruth. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. That is what we see being played out in chapter 2. Ruth has been drawn by the grace of God to trust in Yahweh. To take refuge under the wings of Yahweh. And He has relied upon Him. She has relied upon Him for every one of her needs, both temporal and eternal. Remember, she has left her family. She has left her land. She has left her gods. And she has placed herself completely, eternally, 
physically, spiritually, under the care of Yahweh. That's saving faith. That is a gracious gift from God. Ruth longed for Yahweh. And Yahweh gave Ruth everything. And all who by grace, like Ruth, come to take refuge under the wings of Yahweh will never regret that. (laughs) It's a working of God's divine grace to begin with. Ruth, I am certain, did not regret, regret leaving Moab or regret walking in covenant faithfulness with Yahweh by His grace. Not one moment. Ruth, as Boaz prayed, was being graciously blessed, rewarded, satisfied, brought to rest and peace, brought to shalom through the providential working of the faithful and gracious hand of Yahweh. If I could summarize the message of this chapter, it would be either that verse or saying it this way, in steadfast love, Yahweh pours out the riches of His grace and kindness upon all who take refuge in Him. That's the story here. That's what's happening in Ruth's life. That Gospel principle is what we will begin to see unfold in the lives of not only Ruth, but Naomi, and certainly Boaz as well. In fact, the word grace and favor is a major theme as well in this chapter. Notice in chapter 2, verse 2, and Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go out to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find what? Grace. That is a movement of trust in Yahweh. We'll talk more about it specifically. But she is hoping in the grace of God. Again, in verse 10, she receives what what Boaz has given to her and she says, why have I found what? Grace, favor, undeserved kindness in your eyes that you should take notice of me. And then again in verse 13, she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant. She began to seek for the grace of God by divine grace. She began to inquire, is it true? Have I really been the recipient of divine grace? And then, what? I have found favor in your eyes. Yes, Boaz is there ministering these things to her, but ultimately, she knows this comes from having taken refuge under the wings of Yahweh. And that's all by divine grace. I'm telling you, the story of Ruth illustrates the gospel truths in the letter of Ephesians. I didn't know there was so a clear illustration of Ephesians in the Scriptures like this. Think about it. Chapter 2, verse 1, we were what? Dead in our trespasses and sins. Ruth was dead in Moab, Right? But 2, 4, and 5 says He made us alive together with Christ. God brought Ruth from death to life. He brought her to conversion. He raised her up with Himself. And then verses chapter 2, 6, and 7, He pours out the riches of His grace upon us, not just in time, but really for eternity. And God has just begun to pour grace upon Ruth and her family. What kind of grace? What kind of blessings? Well, chapter 1, 3, and following details those. Ruth is being blessed. She's been chosen, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, given wisdom and insight and inheritance and indwelling. 
and so much more for time and eternity. This is the story of salvation by the grace of God. And then chapter 2 takes us into the chapter 2 of Ephesians. 2 and verse 10 says he makes us what? His workmanship. Ruth, in this chapter, you will see, becomes the workmanship of God, as does Boaz. And God began to do this work in their lives so that they would be prepared for the good works that God has prepared for them. There are redemptive, eternally impactful things that God has planned for Ruth and and Boaz to do. Doesn't he? he? The best is yet to come in the story. Far above and beyond anything that Ruth and Boaz and Naomi could ask or think. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. And in chapter 4, he brings us together with others upon whom God has placed His steadfast love and made His workmanship for good works. Chapter 4 in Ephesians talks about what? The church. And that's what you see in Ephesians 2, or in Ruth as well, is that God is bringing providentially, amazingly, Ruth and Boaz together. And chapter 5 shows us that sometimes God, and as He prepares His good works for us, Ephesians 5, He has for us a spouse, and a family. Right? Doesn't Ephesians unfold that way? Church, change of character, spouse, family, work, all of it God has unfolded for us as good works to walk in that He has prepared for us from eternity. You see this in the story of Ruth. God graciously at work, all to the praise of His glorious grace. God is working providentially doing in steadfast love and faithfulness all that is needed in the lives of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. Yahweh pours out the riches of His grace and kindness upon all who take refuge in Him. He makes them His workmanship. He brings them together to serve one another and bless one another. He uses them and makes them fruitful in His eternal redemptive plans for His glory. That's the story of Ruth. And I continue to invite you, take the story of Ruth like a pair of glasses and put them on your eyes. Each day, and see God doing the same thing in your life if you are in Christ. All right, let's go to Ruth chapter 2 and see how it unfolds. Number one, and you have this in your outline this morning in the bulletin. Number one, God makes his chosen people his workmanship. First, let's do ladies first. Let's look at Ruth. God has graciously made Ruth his workmanship. God has formed His own character in her. I see this in verses 2 and 3 in particular. Verse 1 introduces us to Boaz. We'll come back to that verse in a bit. But then, verse 2, Ruth wakes up one morning. She says to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And she says to her, go my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. What do we see there? First of all, I I see humility. Ruth is seeking the blessing of Naomi. Can I go? I want to go. And she waits for her blessing. I also see here faith. Faith in the Word of Yahweh. You have to see this. She says here that she needs to go to the field and glean in the sight of of one in whom she finds favor. Do you know what she's talking about there? She's talking about Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22. 
apparently Ruth has begun to go to synagogue and hear the Pentateuch read. Because there it says, by God's gracious law, have you ever thought to have those two words together? By God's gracious law, He has made provision for foreigners, sojourners, destitute, poor, neglected people, that they were to, the, the men were to leave the corners of their fields available to those who were in need, so that everyone in the covenant family of God would have provision. Ruth knows that. She remembers that. And she says, all right, Naomi, I'm going to go trust the law of the Lord and trust God to graciously provide for me through someone who is also committed faithfully to your word and trusting your covenant promises. Ruth is humble. She has faith. And she is faithful, meaning she is a woman who is willing to keep her word. She is fulfilling her loving promises to Naomi, isn't she? She is taking care of Naomi here. She says, I will abandon my people for you and yours. I will abandon my gods for yours. I will live with you. I will lodge with you. I will die with you. I'll be buried with you. I'm going to take care of you. And she does. She is, she's, she is looking like Yahweh more and more. The God of steadfast love who keeps His promises. See, God in His grace is forming Ruth into His image. You can also see her character in the foreman's report of her to Boaz. Look at verses 6 and 7. And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered in response to Boaz's question, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. Again, what I see in Ruth is a humility that understands grace. She doesn't assume. She's not entitled. She comes to the owner of the field and she says, please, may I? May I glean here? I know I'm a foreigner. I know I'm not one of the servants here. But may I please receive what I do not deserve because of God's covenant promises. She's humble. She understands grace. And she's diligent. She's diligent and committed in her labor To show Naomi the kind of steadfast love that God has so graciously shown her. Notice what the reaper says. It's really the only kind thing he says about her. She says, she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. She is out of steadfast love, a very hardworking, diligent woman, fulfilling her promises to Naomi. You also see Ruth's character divinely shaped by God in her dialogue with Boaz. Look at verses 11-13. through 13. This is after Boaz comes and initiates a conversation with her and she says, Boaz answers her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. 
And then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And again in verse 10, she said, then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Again, you see this humble gratitude flowing, overflowing from her heart. She knows who she is in the covenant community. She knows, she understands what she deserves and what she doesn't deserve. She sees the grace, the favor that has been shown by Yahweh through Boaz. And she is filled and overflowing with a humble sense of gratitude. Look at what she says, even in verse 13. You have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant. And as soon as that title servant gets out of her mouth, she's even uncomfortable with that. Because she says, though I am not one of your servants. She wants to presume nothing. She's grateful for everything. And she's humble. That is a heart that has been changed by the grace of God. If you have been impacted by the grace of God, you will reflect this as well. Grateful, humble, not entitled, but knowing what you deserve and seeing what you've been given through Christ. You see her character, her, her godly character being, con- being uh, conformed to the image of Christ in her completed work and return to Naomi. Notice in verses 17 through 23. She gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned. She took it up, went to the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave to her what food she had left over after being satisfied. This is an amazing thing. Look down in verse, verse 21. Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. Verse 23, so she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Again, she's faithful. She's diligent. Where you lodge, I will lodge. She is. She's committed. And she is showing steadfast love to Naomi. She, I love this part of it, Ruth generously is giving to Naomi from what she has generously received from God through Boaz. That's her existence right now. She's a channel of steadfast love and she delights in it and she's diligent with it. That's the model of the Christian life right there. What are we but called to be channels of the gospel from God to us, from us to others? The love, the grace, the truth, the kindness, the mercy, the gentleness. You see, you see God shaping Ruth into just that. What we see in Ruth is a woman upon whom God has set His steadfast love, and therefore she is a woman who is beginning to love others selflessly like God has loved her. God has deeply formed Ruth's character deep in her heart, and that character is being expressed through her words and her actions. And by grace, God has made Ruth His workmanship and therefore has prepared for her good works to walk in for the unfolding and fulfilling of His eternal redemptive purposes. And those good works are far more than she could ever ask or think. She doesn't even know what's coming yet. 
God has graciously made Ruth his workmanship. Now, let's look at Boaz. And I understand that we just scratched the surface. You, you can take these points of, of thought home and just meditate on them and think about how God brings this about in the lives of believers as well in so many ways. God has graciously made Boaz his workmanship. God has formed His own character in him. Let's look at the reflection of God in Boaz. This is all a work of divine grace. Notice first of all, the narrator's editorial comment and hint concerning Boaz. Verse 1, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. This word here, a worthy man. Boaz is a worthy man. God has crafted him into a worthy man. That is the same word that we see in Proverbs 31. Just like Solomon describes who? The excellent woman. The virtuous woman. That's the same word here. Boaz is that here as well. An excellent man. A worthy man. This is the same word that's used also in Proverbs 13.22. And you'll see, if, you, if you've read through Proverbs 31, some comparisons here. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. You see, this virtuous man, this virtuous woman, is one who works and lives and loves, serves selflessly in a way that looks like Yahweh. He works hard. He has the resources that Yahweh has graciously given to him, and he delights in pouring out grace and favor upon others. That's Boaz. That's God. That's what God is. That's what Christ is like. We'll see it more as we go. You see the godly character that God has graciously formed in Boaz through the dialogue that he has with his workers. Verse 4 And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And what does he say? The Lord be with you. You know, it's interesting all the things that we say to people when we first see them. And you know what's on Boaz's heart? This isn't just some trite, you know, run-of-the-mill greeting. In fact, his reapers say something different in response to him. May the Lord bless you. But he says what? May the Lord be with you. What is most precious to Boaz? Is it the presence of Yahweh? May the Lord be with you. The presence of Yahweh. He loves the presence of Yahweh above all else, and therefore he wishes his greatest blessings upon his workers. And I also see here that the question that Boaz asks about Ruth indicates that he's respectful and honorable and careful with her. What does he say? Whose young woman is this? We also see the godly character being formed in Boaz through his dialogue and actions with Ruth, especially in verses 8 through 16. Boaz says to Ruth, Listen, my daughter, do not go to glean another field or leave this one, but keep, cl- keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping. Go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? When you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. 
Then she fell on her face and bowed to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and your mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoke kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she arose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her and also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. I want you to see here first just just the heart of Boaz. We're going to look at some of his actions later as he serves Ruth, but notice the heart of Boaz behind these actions. Boaz's heart has been so changed that not only does he love the presence of Yahweh, but he loves the word of Yahweh. He loves the law of Yahweh. Again, he is acting graciously in favor, just like Yahweh commanded him in Leviticus 23:22. It's the word of God that brought Boaz and Ruth together. Isn't that interesting? Ruth was pursuing the grace that God's law offers, and Boaz was giving the grace that God's word offers. He makes generous provision for obedience to that law and graciously, joyfully, kindly, gently invites Ruth to receive the blessings that the law are provided through him. This Boaz is a Psalm 1 kind of a guy. Meditate on the law day and night. It's his delight. Boaz, by God's grace, loves the stranger. You can see that here. She's a foreigner. She's a Moabite. Boaz's foreman went out of his way to make that clear. Did you notice that? Notice, back in verse 6, the servant in charge of the reaper said, "Uh, she is a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. Like He says it twice. He's repeating. He's like, you've got to understand, this woman is not one of us. Right? That's, That's what he's doing. If she's a Moabite woman, obviously she's from Moab. Of course she is, right? So why say it twice? Because he's making a point. But how does Boaz respond to that? He loves the stranger by God's grace. He loves the foreigner, the poor, the marginalized, the desperate. He shows her grace and generous grace at that. And Boaz, by God's grace, values the gracious character that God has formed in Ruth. Notice what attracts him to her. That says a lot, doesn't it? What attracts Boaz to Ruth? Your faithfulness to Naomi. I have heard. Boaz is not a gossiping guy, but he has heard what's going on in the life of Ruth. She is beginning to have a testimony in the community of the Ephrathites of Bethlehem. I have heard everything. It has been told me fully how you you responded to God's steadfast love with faith. 
I see God's work in you. I see God's grace in you. That's what I delight in, Ruth says. He hears about it. He sees it. And he values it as precious. That's a man of godly character. And Boaz, by God's gracious working, has a tender, compassionate, gentle demeanor with Ruth. Because he, as God, as God's, um, he, as God would, has spoken comfort to her kindly and shown her much grace. Notice what Ruth says about him. After she receives his words, he says, she says back to him, I have found favor. You have comforted me. You spoke kindly to me. That's the kind of man Boaz is. He extends God's grace to someone who does not deserve it with great kindness and delight. What we see in Boaz is a man upon whom God has set his steadfast love and therefore a man who is beginning to love others like God has loved him. God has deeply formed Boaz's character in his heart and that character is being expressed through words and actions. By God's grace, Boaz has been made his workmanship and he's being prepared for good works to walk in, unfolding and fulfilling his eternal redemptive purposes. Now, isn't this how God works in our lives as well? For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. And we are His, what? Workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in. That's God. In fact, yes, the providence of God that causes this to happen is often very painful. We know that. Hebrews 12, you are being treated like sons and daughters. It is for this discipline that you must endure. All discipline for the present is not, or for the present is not pleasant, but afterward it what? yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. God is graciously inviting you to share His holiness. That's what He's doing through all of these movements of His providence in your life. There's no greater gift of grace than for God to recreate you into the image of Jesus Christ. It's what you were made for. It's the purpose of your existence. It's God's delight. And it's your delight. Yahweh pours out the riches of His grace and kindness upon all who take refuge in Him. Take heart in these things, brothers and sisters. Put this lens over your life. Don't disconnect what we're saying here with what you're experiencing. Look to Yahweh and take refuge in Him. Now, let's see how God begins to bring Ruth and Boaz together in order to bring them to those providentially prepared good works. Number two this morning, God moves His chosen people together. This is a really fun part of this. There's something very special that you need to notice about this narrative and narratives like this one. As God providentially and lovingly brings Ruth and Boaz together, the narrator, the inspired, the spirit-inspired narrator, gives you and I more information about what's happening than what the characters in the story even themselves know. Have you noticed that? Verse 1? Now, Naomi had a relative. You can, you can imagine someone sitting down and telling you the story. Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech whose name was Boaz. 
And now we come back to the characters. There's two perspectives in this story. There's what the characters know, and there's what the narrator knows. And you are privy to what the narrator knows. You don't, the characters don't see it yet. They don't see it coming. Why do you think the inspired writer does that? Is it just an editorial device? No. We're given these two perspectives as the story unfolds. And we are given the perspective of the characters who don't know the future and do not see where all of the events of their lives are leading by the providence of God. We are given the perspective also of our sovereign, of, of our sovereign providential God working, working, the one who knows all, the one who sees all, is present everywhere, is limitless in power and love, and is working all these things according to the counsel of His will for the good of His chosen people and His glory. Why is it important for us to have both of those perspectives in the story of Ruth? What does it teach us? You see, it teaches you something very important. Because in the midst of the unfolding events of our lives, we're like the characters of Ruth. We only have one perspective. We don't get the editorial comments of the narrator whispering in our ear all the way through every day, do we? We don't know what's coming. We don't often understand the purpose for the happenings in our lives. We can't see God's good and loving intention in it all. We can't see it. We want to see it, but it seems so counterproductive. Denby gave us a great illustration the other day as we were talking about this. She said, we don't have the box top of the puzzle. We're just looking at each piece, trying to figure out how it all fits together. God has the box top. Ruth is the box top where you see the whole puzzle together. You see, that, the, character, the perspective of the divine is the box top. Each piece at a time is the perspective of the characters. That's what we have right here in the book of Ruth. We don't discern always what God is doing to advance His eternal redemptive plans and purposes. We, we can't see God's good and loving intention in it all. And so at those times when, when all we have is the character's perspective and we are tempted to be anxious and worried and frustrated and angry and depressed and, and despairing, we need to turn our eyes to the divine perspective that Ruth gives us. Because this is how it works in the lives of all who are in Christ without variation. We need to lift our eyes to the divine heavenly perspective and remember that every event of our lives is being perfectly given and providentially guided by our God who is sovereign over all, loving, good, kind, gracious, wise, and faithful. That's what we see. So I'm grateful for the editorial comment. It points us to the divine perspective. And we see the goodness and kindness of God's heart and hand, particularly in the providential meeting of Ruth and Boaz. And the text bears it out so well. So watch what God is doing. Boaz, a single man of God-formed character, excellence, and wealth, is waking up one morning in his Bethlehem home. Verse 1. There he is. Ruth, a single woman of God-formed character, excellence, and need, is waking up one morning in the humble abode of Naomi. Verse 2. 
Ruth's heart is moved by God's grace to act toward God and Naomi in faithfulness and steadfast love. And so she desires to go out and glean. She desires to glean by looking for someone who will show her the grace that she knows her God Yahweh possesses and longs to pour out on her, verse 2, because of Leviticus. So Ruth sets out, and notice the words of verse 3. She set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened, she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Whoa, step back. Take those words. Look at them. She happened to come to the field belonging to Boaz. You have to see what's here. The Spirit-inspired narrator literally writes something like this, and it's also in the LSB version, for your information. It says it like this. And so it happened that she happened to come. There's all these lights shining on this happenstance. We talk like that too, don't we? And it just so happens. And what are we implying when we say that? There's something greater at work. Something unseen. Something glorious. That's exactly what the Hebrew writer is doing. It just so happened that it happened. And we're meant to hear that as an emphatic overstatement that says, this is God's sovereign hand of providence working behind the scenes. And the story goes on in the same way. Boaz, enter Boaz. Verse 4, and behold. <laughs> right? These, if we were listening to this and we understood the Hebrew language, we wouldn't miss this at all. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. What are we talking about here? In fact, the NIV says, just then, just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem. The same field where Ruth was gleaning? This is an amazing, sovereign, providential appointment that God has made between Ruth and Boaz. No mistaking it. The Hebrew writer won't let you mistake it. And neither will I. This is God's work. Boaz got up, ate his poached eggs, brushed his teeth, oiled his beard, steps out of his Bethlehem house, and arrives at his field at just the right time. And at just the right place to see Ruth gleaning there, who happened that it so happened that she, of all the fields, picked his. That is not a mistake. What an amazing account of the unfolding providence of God working in steadfast love and faithfulness for the good of His chosen people and the fulfillment of His redemptive purposes through them. Do we ever have sovereign appointments like that? Of course we do. So next time you wonder, if you bump into somebody and God does a good work there, you think, it just so happened that it happened. Say that to yourself. Now you're going to remember it. It just so happened that it happened. Yahweh pours out the riches of His grace and kindness upon all who take refuge in Him. And there are so many layers of truth and application that can be gleaned from this amazing story. God draws His people to repentance through painful, loving providence. It just so happened that it happened. 
He even draws other people to himself through the pain of other people. Right? Naomi's pain became Ruth's salvation. Forming his character in them so that they may serve one another as God serves them. Bringing his people together, having formed their character so that they may fulfill the good works that he's planned for them. This is also an amazing romance, by the way. There is so much here for those who are praying to be married someday to notice. So much. That, that's, a, that's a time for another study. We could study this again and talk about premarital preparation. This also story has so much to do with how to love one another rightly within marriage. That's one of the layers of application. This sounds a lot like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. The time is different. It's a field near Bethlehem instead of the Garden of Eden. The woman formed and brought from Moab instead of the man's rib, but it's still the same God at work. Forming his people's character to love like he, bringing the chosen people together to serve one another, to do good works, to be part of his redemptive plans. Dear ones, listen, put this story as a lens over your life and learn to trust in your God who is full of steadfast love. Learn to submit your heart and your life to the the teaching of His faithful hand of providence. He wants to draw you. He wants to form you. He wants to, to bring you together with others. He has eternal plans for you. He will fulfill His promises to you faithfully if you are in Christ through His grace. He loves you with a steadfast love that will never let you go. Trust Him. That's what this story screams. Trust in the providence of God. Finally this morning, God meets His chosen people's needs through one another. Number three, God meets His chosen people's needs through one another. This, it just gets better. This is absolutely amazing to me. First, you must see Yahweh meeting Ruth's needs through Boaz in steadfast love and faithfulness. I see it first in his and how he calls out to Ruth listen daughter he's so kind he's so gracious so welcoming do not do not go you stay here i want you here i want to meet your needs verse 9 there's provision and protection let your eyes be on the field as they are reaping go i've i've charged the young man not to touch you she was a young woman of marriable age and probably good looking and so he's leave her alone let her glean. This is the role of a God-formed man. Provision and protection. You see this here in Boaz. This is God to us in Christ. Verse 10, favor to the foreigner. He has a delight in meeting the needs of those who are poor and empty, desolate. He does it well. We already looked at this. Verses 11-13. through 13, he, he meets Ruth's need by encouragement and comfort. He shows kindness to her. He identifies and affirms the good work that God is doing in her life. He points her to Yahweh, the God of Israel, and the refuge of His wings. Even in His encouragement, He's kind of referring to Psalm 91. Those who dwell in the shelter of the Most High will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Right? The wings of Yahweh. He's encouraging her. He's, he's speaking kindly to her. This is God's provision to Ruth through Him. And notice... We skipped over this the first time through. I love verse 14 and 15 and 16. This is amazing. He says, come here. You're not just a foreigner. You are, but I'm not going to treat you like one. 
I want you to come here. I want you to sit at my table. I want you to come eat some bread. Dip your bread in this wine with us. She sat beside the reapers and he passed, he served her. Wow. He served her roasted grain. And, and, and she didn't have just a little bit of leftover. She ate until she was what? Satisfied. And she had leftover to take home to Naomi. This man served her at his table. Does that ring any thoughts in your mind? What is that but a wonderful reflection of the Lord Jesus Christ in salvation? Our Redeemer brings us to His table and satisfies us with Himself, forgives our sins, redeems us, delights us, and fills us to overflowing. God has so shaped the character of Boaz by His grace that Boaz too loves to sacrificially serve those who least deserve it, but most need it. I mean, Boaz from Bethlehem, right? The house of bread has given the godly bread of steadfast love to Ruth, the needy outcast from Moab. And Boaz reminds us of Jesus from Bethlehem. Again, the house of bread who loves to give Himself the living bread to those who are needy and outcast, but will come to Him in repentance and faith to take refuge under the shadow of His wings. Isn't that what the Son of God is like? This phrase, as soon as I read it, She ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. What story comes to your mind? What is it? The the loaves and the fish, right? Like, oh yeah, that's the way Jesus is. He gives us the bread of life, right? This is all John 6, right? Jesus makes the connection. I'm going to feed you. You're going to have way more left over. And really what I want to give you is myself. Jesus crucified. That's what you need. That will satisfy your soul. That will redeem your heart. That will wash away your sin and cause you to have eternal life with God. This is what Yahweh is like in the glory of His steadfast love on the cross in order to feed sinful outcasts like us. The living bread of life. Feeding us until we're satisfied and have abundance left over. We were drawn to Boaz because we're drawn to Yahweh. Right? Verse 15, more provision. He doesn't leave it there. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young man, let her glean even among the sheaves. Like, let her take anything she wants from anywhere. Don't reproach her. Again, provision, protection. This is a theme here. Provision, protection. Provision, protection. And also, pull out some from the bundles. Make it easier for her. Leave it for her to glean. Again, do not rebuke her. And Boaz let her take home a bunch of leftovers from her meal. In fact, it's an ephah. Where does it say that? Oh, there it is. An ephah of barley. That's about 30 pounds for two ladies. In a sense, this is actually joyfully comical. After a full day of work, Ruth carries a 30-pound bag of barley from the field to wherever Naomi lived with her dinner dinner leftovers. I mean, Ruth probably arrives heart-pounding, breathless, sweating, but smiling with joy, right? 
carrying around a big bag of barley. She plops the 30-pound bag down in front of Naomi and takes a deep breath. And then you begin to see Yahweh meeting Naomi's needs through Ruth and through Boaz in steadfast love. Verse 18, Ruth was satisfied and had an abundance left over and then gave to Naomi. Naomi's jaw drops, hits the floor. look, Look what she says. She comes in with this bag, plops it on the floor. Where did you glean today? Right? I mean, she's, this is incredible. 30 pounds of barley. When, I mean, when was the last time one of you ladies brought home 30 pounds of barley for your eight-person family? Right? Not recently. <laughs> Yahweh, who graciously worked in Naomi's heart to bring her to humble repentance and renewed trust in covenant promises so that she would again take refuge under his wings, is now pouring out his divine grace upon her. And for all of Naomi's struggles and anxieties and impatience and brokenness, she's able to see God's hand in it all. Look what she says. May he be blessed, right? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. May he be blessed by the Lord who's, ah, there's our word again, chesed, steadfast love, loyal love, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. She is seeing God's hand in all of this as well and returning that blessing. Now, before we close, the story begins to advance and give us a hint of what's coming in the next chapter. Because as soon as Naomi says that, she also says, by the way, Ruth, that man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And maybe I'm playing it up a little bit, but maybe not. Because this will prepare us for the next chapter. Apparently, she can be a little impatient now. A little bit anxious. A little bit pushy. And she tries to advance God's providences by less than wise human means, as we'll see in the next chapter. She reminds me of Yente from Fiddler on the Roof, if you've ever seen that movie. The matchmaker. Right Now, Naomi is trying to play matchmaker. And she tells Naomi, or Ruth tells Naomi, that Boaz told her to stay, right? Stay in my field. And just after that, she says that. Beside, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished. Stay in my field. They're going to pull grain out for you. They're going to they're leave you alone. Do what you got to do. Provide for yourself and for Naomi. And the first thing out of Naomi's mouth is, oh yes, it, it is good, my daughter, that you should go out with his young women. Stay there. Stay near Boaz. Oh, oh, and by the way, what I mean by that is that so that you are not assaulted by anyone else. Ah, she's, she's kind of doing a little manipulation behind the scenes here. Naomi's mental wheels are turning. And yet Ruth does just what Boaz and her mother-in-law advises her to do. God in steadfast love has met the needs of Ruth through Boaz, and met the needs of Naomi through Ruth. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Well, how do we bring this all to a close? You've heard a little bit about the next chapter, but let's, let's focus back in before we pray on chapter 2 again. Again, the main point. In steadfast love, Yahweh 
is pouring out the riches of his grace and kindness upon those who take refuge in him. Behold the steadfast love and faithfulness of Yahweh. And dear ones, see the providential hand of God in your life. Let Ruth become that lens. It's amazing to see all that God is doing and know where he's going with it. Rest in his heart of steadfast love toward you. Yield to his teaching work to form his own character in you. Watch for and willingly follow where his hand leads you to bring you to serve others and to walk in the good works that he's planned for you. Trust him. Trust him. This is calling you to trust him. He's moving in your life to accomplish eternal works through you such as you cannot even comprehend until you see him face to face. Do you believe that? It was true for Ruth. And we'll see it unfold. Take refuge in him. And to you here this morning who are still like Ruth was before she left Moab, still dead in your sins, is that you today? Still in love with your sin and loving the world, still unbelieving, still without God, without His forgiveness. I invite you this morning to take refuge under the wings of Yahweh as well, our God, because you need a hiding place. It's an amazing thing that Psalm 32 presents to us. He said, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Day and night, your hand, God, was heavy on me. My strength was dried up as the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance, Selah. Think about that. If you are not yet in Christ, you need a hiding place. What do you need a hiding place from? From God's wrath. Because we are His creatures made in His image who have rebelled against Him. And He in goodness and justice must punish our sin. We need a hiding place from that. We need a shelter. We need a refuge. And what's amazing is God Himself is our refuge from His wrath. He longs to be our shelter too. And He is through Christ. We go to Christ. We look upon Him. We receive His sacrifices for us. We trust in Him alone. And God promises to shelter us from His wrath instead and show us His steadfast love. You need a hiding place. You need Christ. And so I invite you this morning, if that's where you are still, if you're still in Moab, I think you get my point. Come to Christ. We'd love to share some more truth with you about that if you need more help to understand the gospel. But please do not leave today without knowing you are hidden in the refuge of the Most High God. Let's stand together and we'll pray. I invite the men to come forward as we prepare for the Lord's table this morning.
Father, we are grateful for this glorious story as it unfolds before us. Help us to use it like like we have said, Father, as as a lens to see our own lives and to take hope in your steadfast love in all of the redemptive plans that you have prepared for for those who love you. Do this good work in us, we pray, for for the name of Jesus and his eternal glory. Amen. Let's sing it together before we share at the Lord's table.